at this point, it's not photorealistic video. It, it's not going to pass itself off as something that actually came out of a camera. But the rate of change is such that I expect by next year, we are going to see films, feature length, made by individual auteur filmmakers in their home study. The story is good artists copy, but great artists steal. And now technology is creating art, imitating or stealing from the great creative geniuses of the past, even in media as multifaceted as film. Today we discuss how artificial intelligence is threatening the arts. I'm Joel Ackerman. This is Lightwise. Austin Craig is an American filmmaker, author, and entrepreneur, and an expert in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. He's a compulsive early adopter who dives face first into anything new. He is also a father, a husband, though not necessarily in that order, and what some people have called an all-around good guy. Austin, welcome. Thanks, Joel. Let's talk first, broadly speaking, about how artificial intelligence is disrupting artistic fields generally music, visual arts, etc. Sure. What's happening? Oh gosh, what's happening? Everything is happening. There are specialized AI tools that touch on absolutely every field of art. And uh, I've experienced Midjourney, which right. is incredible, a visual generator. Yep. Um, a, a bit trial and error-ish. Sure, know. yes. Um, but, and then obviously everyone knows about ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. What's happening, do you know about music? Yeah, there are lots of music tools. Usually you won't know about those unless you're in the music world. But if you're looking for music for something, you can generate music uh, in any genre at the drop of a hat. There are a variety of different tools. It is a Cambrian explosion of different AI tools coming online. If, if a single week passes, you're going to see multiple new tools come online and updates adding completely new capabilities to the quote-unquote old tools. None of them are very old. This is all a brand new field. Right. Uh, but that's how fast things are going, is we are seeing entirely new capabilities coming online and improving dramatically in 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 the matter of days and weeks. So my my brother had uh, ChatGPT write a post describing a man buying some spice at a grocery store in the voice of uh, David, uh, the guy who does that do those documents, David Attenborough. David Attenborough, yeah. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, impeccable. Uh, Midjourney creates beautiful, lifelike images. With I'm interested because I don't know about the music. Is it if you say write a score in the manner of Mozart? I mean, is it is it creating anything close to? Uh, it, it's probably in the same domain right now as let's say um, images have been in the past year. Right, Midjourney has only very recently gotten to the point where it can create truly photorealistic. You can't tell it from the real thing. Right. If you'd looked at Midjourney a year ago, uh, and I was right, because this is an area that fascinates me. What it was creating was images that had a photorealistic quality to them, but they were obviously not real photos because it it didn't know where to put things. If you asked it to create a woman smiling at the camera holding up a soda, what you would get is some kind of nightmare image, some David Cronenberg flesh monster <laughs> with all of the parts in all of the wrong places. She would have three hands and seven fingers and her eyes would not be distant 
distance correctly across her face, and she would have way too many teeth. It literally looks like a nightmare. Uh, the joke for a long time was that it could never get the right number of fingers on a hand. Eyes always look strange because pupils were not perfectly round and they were not in the middle of the eye. That has changed, right? The more training data these sets have, the more refined they get. Midjourney has gotten to a point where it's photorealistic. Uh, OpenAI's DALI, which is their image generation tool, has also reached that place. Wow. Okay, and then you said that the programs themselves are getting new training. What's the training that they're getting? Again, is that is that human input that's that's uh, creating these updates, or or every time a person goes on and they say, "Give me, give me uh, an image of this," and then it learns this is the image that person liked because that's the one they upscale, yeah, or whatever, right. Is it learning from that or is it just learning from human input saying, we need to fix this, we need to fix that? Yeah, it's a good question. It, you're getting some of both. Uh, there's there's huge amounts of data out there that you just process through these programs and they start to figure out based on associated metadata. So let's use the example of pictures. If I have pictures and they have associated metadata, i.e. hashtags, right, right of right. what's in the picture. Uh, and you, the style of the picture sure, and those kind of things. Right. You, you feed enough of those through these programs, they eventually, quote unquote, figure out, if I have hashtag Picasso on this, they start to figure out what a Picasso looks like and right. they can generatively reproduce that. You also have human reinforced learning where somebody like you or me, maybe we're using ChatGPT. And have you noticed using it that it will ask you whether the response was good or not? You right. get to rate the response. And by rating it positively, you've now reinforced what it did before. Enough of that, and it improves all the quicker. I've also heard of these groups paying people. Literally, they will just have employees whose job it is to interact with these, to put in prompts, see what gets kicked out, and, and to tell the machine whether it did a good job or not. Good boy. By the way, if you haven't played with these, go to ChatGPT or try out MidJourney. Just play around with these. You'll understand exactly what we're talking about very quickly. Let's talk about how... Artificial intelligence is affecting film specifically. Film is a very complex medium. Uh, there's music, there's words that people speak, there's obviously the visuals, there's visual effects, there's music, and it seems very complex uh, because it can't just be a static image like Midjourney or text words like ChatGPT, and yet uh, artificial, you know, clearly the strikes, uh, the, the writers guild was very concerned about this, uh, from their aspect. Um, how is this affecting Phil? That's a good question. And the strikes really were largely about this. Obviously, if you're striking, you're probably asking for more pay, but why specifically were they asking for more pay right now? It's because even though this is a brand new, uh, tool, AI, things like ChatGPT. Hollywood was immediately on it because they saw how capable it was right out of the gate. With something like ChatGPT or GPT 3.5 or GPT 4, the, the, the algorithm that works behind that, they were already using that to produce original scripts. So if you're a Hollywood studio producer and you want a script about a certain thing because you think that's in the zeitgeist and that's going to make money, you could just ask the algorithm, write me an outline for this uh, comedy, buddy comedy, road trip, platonic man and woman, uh, and they get abducted by aliens. I don't know. Whatever you want, yeah. literally whatever you want, get as crazy as you want, it can figure something out and it'll give you a response. Hollywood studios were already using this to create original content. And the writers that they would go to, to normally write an original script, 
were now not getting original scripts or um, treatments to write from. They were getting a script that had already been written by a machine and they're being told, punch this up, smooth it out, make it a little bit better to your eyes. Now this gets a script done a lot faster and cheaper, but the reason it's cheaper is because that writer is getting paid a lot less to do punch-ups than they would be to do an original script. Right. This was absolutely already happening. You and I both know people in Hollywood, mutual acquaintances, who saw this, who experienced this, who were writers there, and suddenly they weren't getting asked to write original scripts. They were just getting asked to punch up whatever ChatGPT spat out. Right. And if you see that happening as soon as the tool's introduced and it's rapidly improving, you have very good reason to be scared for your job. So that's what the strikes were largely about. And if you look at the terms of what they negotiated with the studios, a lot of it was about AI. Who can use it, when they can use it, who gets paid, what the rules are around that in a production. Right. So, so I actually have here kind of what they won, right? They've recently resolved this. Here's what they won. And I put one in air quotes and here, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I have some questions for you. So number one, AI generated material can't be considered literary or source material, um, intellectual property under yep. the yep. MBA. I, AI technology itself can't be considered a writer under the new agreement. Studios must disclose to writers if and when any material they give writers has been generated in part or in whole by AI. And lastly, writers themselves are allowed to use AI, AI software with studio consent and within relevant company policy when performing writing services. So a question and then a comment. Okay. My question is, is this enforceable? How, how, how do you, because uh, you can say this feels like AI to me. You know, you can sure. say this, but how, how do you, how do you enforce this? In short, you can't. You cannot. Uh, Sam Altman, who's the president of OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT, has said that it is no longer possible to distinguish between something that ChatGPT wrote and something that an actual human wrote. And I, uh, by the way, I, I believe that. I believe if you brought in experts and said, and I don't know with scripts, I don't know, but I believe that, that uh, the AI is good enough and people are not good enough <laughs> to be able to discern the difference. Sure. If you show them this piece of music, that piece of music, this piece of art, they'll get it right some of the time. But my guess is statistically, given good enough AI, they're not going to get it right. Yeah, it's a coin flip. You'll get it right sometimes. It's just mostly luck. Right. Um, and again, as with all the other aspects of AI that are rapidly improving, the only real bottleneck is uh, input data, is how much can you train this on? What material is there to train it on? So if the studios haven't already done this, and, and maybe they've now been precluded from doing this by the agreement that they just signed, but if I were in Hollywood as a, as a major studio head, I would be trying to figure out some way to take a vast library of good screenplays, feed them into an AI, and say, give me as many of those as you can and it'll just spit them out. Um, now, again, they may be precluded from doing that legally, but is there anything <laughs> is there anything you can actually do to enforce this, especially with the writers themselves? Because they've been given permission to use it with the permission of the studio, but you can't tell. Nobody can tell. This, this is, to me, the loss, okay? And I, I am a writer, uh -huh. so you're a writer. I'm a screenwriter. I, this, to me, is the loss in this win, <laughs> is that last thing. The writers themselves are allowed to use AI software. I'm not surprised by it mm -hmm. because as you pointed out, 
artists are going to use the tools they have available to them. Studios are already doing it. The writers are already doing it. Uh, they just want to make sure they get theirs, their money. Um, and yet, I can't help but feel, as a writer, that the stronger stance, even though it's unenforceable, and that's why I'm not surprised by it, yet I wonder if it should have been taken, is an agreement not to use AI. You don't use it. We don't use it. Let's keep this human-based. What do you think? I mean, if you have an embargo like that that prevents you from using the tool at all, what you will really see is a proliferation of people outside the studio system using them to full effect. Which is what's going to happen anyway. Yes, absolutely. There are tools coming online, uh, not just coming online, but really developing and being quite sophisticated at this point, where you can punch in text and get video output, right? So mid-journey right. is text in, image out. There are now tools that are text in, video out. And, and just as with mid-journey, when they started, they were horrible nightmare fuel. They, they kicked out videos that nobody would mistake for the real thing. Four months ago, there was a video that went viral, and it was from one of these tools that text in, video out. And somebody had said, video of Will Smith eating spaghetti. And it was all nightmarish Will Smith monster eating spaghetti and the fork. And it was, it's hilarious, actually. Go ahead and Google that, Will sure. Smith eating spaghetti. That was four months ago, Right. These, these tools are getting so much better so fast. Uh, one of them is called Runway ML, machine learning, Runway ML. And uh, I think they host a film festival right now. And, and one of the things that they're doing, and one of these things that's been shown to be quite effective in this AI space, is showcasing what's possible. So that when somebody starts into it, they don't know what to type. They, they play around with it for a little bit and it spits something out. But a lot of the time, it's not exactly what you want. It's not perfect. But one of the innovations that Midjourney came up with knowingly or not, is that they put this all in Discord, the chat service. So when you go in there and you're prompting a new image, you're in there with a whole bunch of other people doing the same thing. And you can right. see what their prompts are and what outputs they get. So if you want something that's photorealistic 8K, but you have to have the specific magical words to get that to happen, uh, you may not know that of yourself. You may not figure that out by yourself. But if you're in a room full of other people and you see all of them doing it correctly, you'll pick up on it really quickly. Right. Um, Runway ML and others like Pika Labs, they're kind of figuring this out too. While they don't exist in a chat service, they are doing everything they can to showcase what's going on and to educate people on how to use these tools for the best effect. And it's getting so much better so quickly. Uh, you don't get quite as much nightmare fuel. Now, at this point, it's not photorealistic video. It, it's not going to pass itself off as something that actually came out of a camera. But the rate of change is such that I expect by next year, we are going to see films, feature length, made by individual auteur filmmakers in their home study. Like Simone, the film Simone. Have you seen Yes, <laughs> and, and that was so far ahead of its time, right. and I loved it. That was, that was groundbreaking in a way that I don't think everybody at the time Realized. appreciated. They thought, oh, this is a fa fun fantasy. Right. It's, it's way more than that. That was the, the screenwriter looking 20 years ahead and seeing what was coming. And it's a hilarious film if, if, if you haven't seen it, Simone. So, okay, so you think feature-length film by next spring or films? Yeah, yeah. And, then, and where I'm getting that is how quickly text-to-image has advanced. Like I said, I've been watching this for a while since well before it was actually a usable technology. It was kicking out nightmare images. Everybody laughed at it. It was not very good. Now it's photorealistic and it's displacing people's jobs. 
we're going to see the same thing happen with text-to-video. Uh, and for a long time, it, it was a very unwieldy technology, and it still is largely. So so about that, here, here's one of my questions. This is just based on my experience using MidJourney, okay, playing around with MidJourney. One of the, the things that I haven't been able to figure out, and you, you tell me if others have, is I can't get the same character unless I'm basing it on maybe a celebrity, uh, which I don't want to do. Um, I can't get the same character in image after image after image putting in new prompts. It, it gives me, I can get the same race, the same gender, mm-hmm. maybe the same age, but it's not the same face. Yep. So, so for a film, that would be really challenging, right? So how are, are they figuring out solutions to that problem? Absolutely. I knew you were going to say that when you said the problem I've had is like, this is the problem that everybody is encountering. Sure. If you want to do a narrative and tell a consistent story with consistent characters, you need consistent characters, right. which has been very difficult because a huge part of what makes AI work is randomness, right? You take the, the order of the language input, you connect that with some randomness, and the logic that brings those two together creates an original creation. Um, there have been countless tutorials online from individual tinkerers. This is not being put out necessarily by the people who make the tools. It's people who use the tools and have been tinkering with it and figuring out how to use it yeah. that explain how to get consistent characters mm. within something like mid-journey. And for film especially, that's going to be absolutely critical. Right. Uh, right now, it is a process, right? What you're getting is individual filmmakers or image makers who have figured out a workflow that produces the same character consistently. What's going to happen next, if, I, if I'm correct, I think I am, is we're going to see those workflows engineered into the tools themselves, where you can just toggle a switch, say, I want the same character in all of these shots. And it will do that, uh, because that's what people want. And the, the, the challenges that we're facing, just like a year ago, mid-journey couldn't get the right number of fingers on a hand, it couldn't get eyes right, there was too many teeth, this looked like a pseudo-human alien, uh, that is now completely overcome. And the same thing is going to happen with video. And especially what people want are consistent characters so that it's an effective storytelling tool. Uh, If that's what people want, and they do, that's what the companies making these tools are going to figure out. And it's not like it isn't even possible. It's 100% technologically possible. What they're figuring out right now are the user interfaces that will produce that outcome uh, in a way that people don't have to become, you know, like an expert in Adobe Premiere to make it happen. So creators, artists... Uh, right now, the people who are really skilled at writing or visuals or film are the people playing around with this. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that uh, it is creators, and obviously you have you know amateurs and 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 uh, just people coming out of curiosity. But the people who are making the real strides are obviously the artists themselves. Um, I find it interesting that in my experience. The artists are coming to these tools, the writers and, and uh, graphic designers, whatever, are coming to these tools, figuring out how to use them. And maybe that's survival. But when I talk to people who are not themselves creatives, and you say, how do you feel about your music or your art being created by artificial intelligence instead of by a person? They go, not all of them, obviously. They go, I don't like it. Yeah. So that goes back to my question where... Social media, obviously, is a great tool. We've used it. We're probably not going back, but there have been documentaries showing the harmful effects. I think there's pretty cogent arguments that show that this is a, social media in general might be a net negative, all things considered. Yeah. Um, Before we just keep steamrolling on, I want to go back to this idea, like, 
Are we losing something, even if the ear and the eye can't discern a difference between the film that's made by AI and the music that's produced by AI? Are we losing something, uh, not being able to experience a piece of art that one soul has created and is now sharing with other souls. Sure. What you're, what you're lamenting is totally understandable, but it's not new. This has existed for a long time. And we see it actually pretty prominently today in people who are lamenting things like classical architecture. There's a meme that's been going around on X, previously Twitter, that will show some classic piece of architecture. And the meme goes something like, I asked my father-in-law, who's an architect, what it would take to build this today. And he said, we can't, we don't remember how. And people are saying that kind of thing about a lot of old art forms, sure. uh, handicraft. Did we lose something when we technologically moved away from hand-chiseling marble statues, right? It's arguable that we did. We also gained a whole lot. I literally just yesterday, again on Twitter, where I spend way too much of my time, <laughs> shared uh, a series of images that was, to look at them casually, they look like a whole bunch of laundry on the ground, disordered, crumpled, whatever. But then you kind of like fuzz your eyes a little bit and you realize like, oh, that's the Mona Lisa in laundry. Or that's a Picasso done in laundry on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I posted it and lamented and saying like, listen, this is really cool. But for the first time in all of my experimenting and looking at AI generative artwork, this is the first time that I've kind of felt like, well, yeah, that's cool. But it would have been so much cooler if an actual artist had done this. And a couple of people in the replies were pushing back on me. And they said the same thing happened when photography was introduced, right? Photography does away with the necessity for oil and uh, canvas and artists doing portraits that way. Sure. Those still exist, but their role in our society is dramatically reduced. Right. We're going to see the same kind of thing happening. And for people who grow up with AI, my kids, I have little kids, they're going to grow up in a world where they've never known anything else. And where to you and I, this feels like spooky magic. It still does to me. I see stuff that this stuff kicks out and I'm like, good grief, is that, that is pure magic. There's just no way for my brain to wrap my head around the fact that we have, we have taught sand to have an imagination, right? Silicon chips are creating new things. Um, blows my mind. My kids aren't going to think twice about it. It's going to be totally normal for them. So you and I, middle-aged men who've worked in creative fields for decades, think that this is kind of a tragedy. Middle-aged mustached men. There you go. We both, we both sport in the mustache, in this mustache moment. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but here we are. Uh, you and I are lamenting the, the passing of an age, but the people who are coming behind us who never experienced that previous age, they're not going to miss it. They're yeah. not going to have the same degree of nostalgia that we do. This is what I'm hearing. This is golden age fallacy. Um, and I guess I just, I, I question that because not, not, not in, um, that every advancement is worse than the one before, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is there something um, metaphysical to art? I feel it when I see the difference between the way a home was built, say, uh, by Frank Lloyd Wright versus a home that's a facade and the, the homes that are um, built to be beautiful in the back versus beautiful in the front and everything else is stucco. Yeah. You know, there's an idea communicated there, which is I'm going to present myself to the world as being beautiful. Really, I don't have as much money as it looks like I do. Sure. Right? Whereas uh, a different kind of home says something different, which is I'm, I'm 
going to be what I am. Yeah. You can say that's just an intellectual exercise in, in how you like your home. Yeah. But if you believe in spiritual things, if you believe in something more than what you see and what you hear, then you believe that home affects you differently than the home that's made to look really nice, but really it's plaster on, on wood. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's what I'm saying is, is yes, they'll be used to it. They'll grow up with it and therefore they'll enjoy it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there might be something better, whether it's ahead of them or behind them, yeah. that they're not experiencing. Yeah. And will there be a pendulum swinging where you see people going, you know, that AI film is pretty good, but I, f I, I prefer human-made films. Yeah. Will you see that kind of thing? Uh, I've, I've asked myself the same question, and to a degree, I've even said that, yes, I predict that that will happen. What, what I was saying uh, in another conversation a day or two ago is that I think the kids who grow up with this stuff today are not going to be wowed by it the same way we are, where us, it seems like spooky magic to them. It's going to be mundane every day. And Meta slash Facebook is leaning heavily into this with their metaverse, right? Mark Zuckerberg has invested many, many billions and is just barreling toward a world where everybody's wearing headsets and they're in this virtual space all the time. But we all also know that Facebook um, is heavily involved in guiding the conversation and doesn't necessarily like um, difficult topics, shall we say. <laughs> so what you might get is a, a metaverse where there is endless novelty and endless variety, but no stakes, no drama, nothing that actually has any purpose or meaning. And I think people who grow up with this are going to get bored with that real quick. It will not stay interesting because nothing is actually at stake. And they might find themselves swinging back towards something much more grounded, personal, analog. You might find a generation of kids who are way more interested in Polaroids and eight millimeter film. And handmade crafts because they go, oh, this is interesting. A person made this. Right. Wow, magic. Almost the reverse of what you were describing where they go, holy cow, a human made this? Right, right. Instead of, wow, we go, wow, a machine made this. They'll be amazed that a person could do the same thing. You mentioned earlier something about social media and how it's, it's argued at this point that it might be a net negative um, just as with social media before, there have actually been a lot of comparisons made to the advent of social media and the advent of AI right now, where it is bringing online new dynamics that could have really negative consequences that we aren't fully anticipating or we're not ready for. Um, but I, I've actually thought about that one a lot too, because prior to being deeply interested in AI, I was deeply interested in social media when that was all yeah. developing. Uh, the problem that we see there and the problem that we will see here is not necessarily the technology itself. Technology is neutral. A hammer can build a house or smash a skull. Right. It's, it depends on how you want to use it. And a lot of how we use these things is based on business models. What are the business incentives? How do you actually make money using it? Something like a Facebook that uses third-party advertisers is going to have a very different incentive than something that you pay a subscription for yourself. We might say a similar dynamic happened here. Whether or not this turns into a dystopian black mirror nightmare really depends on the built-in incentives and how we use it. This could usher in an incredible blessing for mankind, or it could be the beginning of the end, the apocalypse as we know it. Uh, it really is just a question of how we want to deploy this into the world. Tell me how we get to the end of the world as we know it through AI, because I'm interested in that idea. Are, do you think that I'm, I'm guessing you don't uh, subscribe to the uh, belief that AI will become sentient and try to kill us. 
Uh, or maybe you do. <laughs> well, those are two different things, right? right? You said, we'll become sentient and try to kill us. Okay. It could conceivably try to kill us without ever becoming sentient, right? Right. That's the paperclip uh, yes. Yes. model, which explain that briefly. Uh, the paperclip model is something like, you're a paperclip, you're a paperclip company. You want to make as many paperclips as possible. And now you have this incredible AI that is very good at optimizing processes, at sourcing resources. And so you tell the AI, hey, paperclip making machine. We're a paperclip company. Can you figure out how to make as many paperclips as humanly possible? And the, mach the machine says, yes, we can do that. And then it gets to work making paperclips in ways that you could never possibly imagine until paperclips are being churned out way more than you can actually sell on the open market and until it's actually destroying the building that you're in by turning those atoms into paperclips until the paperclip machine makes nanobots whose only job is to make more paperclips and eventually the entire globe and every atom on it is incorporated into a paperclip, it's right? A fun, it's a fun thought experiment. Yeah. Especially if you love paperclips. <laughs> which uh, maybe if you're a huge fan of paperclips, this sounds great. But for the rest of humanity, that sounds like a horrible, hilarious nightmare that that's our dooms to become paperclips. Right. There are, very, there are many different versions of this, and, and that's obviously a simplified kind of silly version. Right. But there are also sophisticated versions where if AI is embedded in everything and AI advances far beyond what an individual human can think of, what the smartest human can think of, what the entirety of humanity can think of, then eventually, how do you control something that's dramatically more intelligent than you and the smartest person you know and all of humanity put together? Right, and that they won't see us as an enemy, but they'll go... Like we build a house and we don't think of the ants that are living in the ground. They just go, just get rid of these guys. Yeah, yeah. They're in the way of whatever we're trying to do. And, and it doesn't even have to have malice or right. it doesn't no malice. have to, it's just, it doesn't have to even like disregard what we're saying. It may be trying in earnest to do exactly what we asked it to do. But unless you give it the perfect prompt with no negative externalities, then it will do stuff that you never imagined. This is kind of already played out a little bit. There was a war games exercise where the AI was given points for taking out enemy targets, except for certain targets that were designated off limits. Um, gosh, and we may need to Google this to make sure I'm getting my facts correct, but it was something like this. I'm going to get the gist. The gist was that this, in this war games exercise, the AI realized that it was being held back from further points because there were certain targets it wasn't allowed to hit. So what it did was hit its own communication tar uh, tower so that it couldn't take any more instructions. So you couldn't tell it to stop. Mm. And that way, by the rules of the game, it got more points because now it could take out all the targets. Mm. All it was trying to do was optimize its score, but it found completely novel, brand new ways to increase that score that a human brain would never have thought of. Uh, and, and usually that involves breaking implicit rules that we don't think about because it's, you complex. know. Complex. Yeah, it's complex. It's it's just part of our humanity. We have a base morality. We we don't typically think of breaking those rules because they're subconscious. Not so for the AI. Right. It has no rules. It, it just wants to optimize the one thing at any cost. So it's very difficult. And AI researchers will back this up ad nauseum. It's extremely difficult to get an AI to do a thing into perpetuity without it going off course in some kind of terrifying fashion. And I guess this goes back to, you know, bringing this back to the film argument. You don't envision AI saying, you putting in a prompt, create this great movie, and AI saying, what about all the actors who wouldn't get work? And the crews. <laughs> yeah, the AI doesn't care about that. Right. And the scenario that you're talking about, you just put in a prompt and it gives you a full feature-length film. 
That's been predicted. There's a group called Sequoia Capital, famous venture capital firm that's investing in a lot of these AI companies. In 2022, they issued a report on the state of AI, and their projection was that by 2030, we would have exactly what you're talking about, that you put in a prompt, you get a film tailored to you right on, on the dot, right? So I want my biopic, and within... 30 minutes or something, it's generated a full-length film about me. Oh, like, it, it, it won't even necessarily take the 30 minutes, right? All it has to do is, is produce the thing faster than the real-time playout, right? So by the time the opening scene is done playing, it's already produced the rest of the film. Wow. Uh, now, this was Sequoia Capital's report in 2022, that by, 2020, by 2030, we would have that. They have now released the 2023 report. And with many others in the AI industry, what they have found is that actually we're moving way faster than any of us expected. Okay, so we've, we've, we've talked about this from an artistic point of view and consuming movies, consuming art. What about the societal ramifications such as deepfakes? Hmm. Is there going to be technology that can distinguish, that AI cannot reproduce, that can distinguish a piece of artificially created video, let's say, from a one that was of an actual person being filmed? That's a really good question. Um, my, my, my belief is that it won't be possible. Right now, it probably is, right? Right now, it's an arms race between who can create the most lifelike, realistic material and who can detect this material and distinguish it from actual real life. Uh, but that is an arms race. And, and that doesn't have an end point where suddenly somebody has won. It's just, it's going to be neck and neck. You're going to have to have more compute, more sophistication to be able to figure out what's real and what's not. One thing that I have wondered about is whether it might be possible, another area of interest for me is blockchain technology, Bitcoin, that kind of thing. Uh, what Bitcoin does is, one of the things that it does very interestingly is it creates an, a tamper-proof record, right? You cannot go back in time and change the history of transactions on the Bitcoin network. Because there are millions of nodes around the world all coordinating with each other, validating what's been recorded, and making sure that if you wanted to change one, you can't really do it because everything else on the network will reject that one change. And you don't think AI could figure out a way around that system? I don't, no. Okay. Because the network is too wide. Uh, it, the AI would have to figure out how to take over uh, more than half of the network. It would have to figure out how to have complete control over more than 50% of the network. And even then, human beings could intervene and course correct. So tamper-proof record technology. Okay. I'm curious if there is a way to basically timestamp media mm. to say, our institution or our production company produced this. This is the original, and we're going to timestamp the original onto the unalterable record of the blockchain. Um, that's an intriguing possibility. There are people exploring that, but we are far away from any kind of plug-and-play solution there. That's, a, that's theory, that's concept. It is not production-ready. We've talked about MidJourney and ChatGPT. You've mentioned various firms developing uh, this artificial intelligence. I'm wondering if you know, are there internal, are studios hiring developers, programmers, coders, whoever builds this AI to develop, um, you know, their own systems internally that yeah. aren't public. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, Disney, for one, has been digitizing their own actors. Anybody who acts in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or in the Star Wars universe, uh, those actors now get completely digitized, even if they have minor roles. So that if the 
if the writers decide to bring back that character for any reason, maybe a decade later, and now they look dramatically different, A, you've got the younger version. B, you might not even need to bring back the character. Even if he's alive and even well. Even if he's alive and well, right? They recently did this with Mark Hamill. And in, I believe it was The Mandalorian or The Boba Fett Show. Um, they brought back Mark Hamill, but in a behind-the-scenes interview, he seemed to acknowledge that it was just like a kind gesture of the studio to bring him back on set. They didn't really need him there. Uh, and in the wow. earlier, in the Star Wars movies that were, were the new generation of Star Wars movies that started with J.J. Abrams, they, they brought back characters, right? You saw Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. Uh, and they did a pretty good job. They did a really good job. But even when that was in theaters, I was kind of shocked that what I was seeing was good, but it wasn't the best I'd ever seen. Right. And the best I'd ever seen was usually done by some tinkerer on his own home gaming PC that had created something for fun. Uh, the tools are incredibly effective. What, what Hollywood is going to struggle with is incorporating these new tools and new systems into a production pipeline with entrenched interests. They have business relationships, they have people who need to get paid, who have contracts. There are ways to do this that are better, faster, cheaper, but this, again, was what the strikes were about. They right, so, but the strikes only affect the unions, and this, it's a little bit related to how do you enforce it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And, and therefore, even if the, the unions win, can they really win? Because A, it's not enforceable, and it only protects the union, and I think what you're saying is, anyone outside of the union, uh, writer, filmmakers, who aren't in the unions, and therefore are not bound by these rules, are going to start creating better and better material. Yeah, absolutely. And therefore, at the end of the day, what happens to the studios? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I wonder whether we're seeing the beginning of a slow decline of the studios, whether they can actually adapt to use these new tools and do it these new ways. But even then, even if they do incorporate them, it's going to be a heck of a coordination effort because a studio is a coordination between a lot of different people and a lot of different groups. If these AI tools are getting as good and as fast as we think they are, like I said, we're going to see feature-length material next year from individual auteur filmmakers. And it'll be novelty at first, right? They're not going to come out of the gate perfect. But give it a little more time, maybe 2025. I don't know. At some point, we're going to see material from individual filmmakers that is true cinema, that is true cinema quality, that is true uh, auteur storytelling in a way where it's not the novelty that keeps you there. It's the fact that this is actually a stirring narrative about characters that you care about and brings emotion into your life. So, so getting back to the, the heart of the matter, the soul of the matter, if there's an auteur behind it, even just one person, maybe you go, well, he didn't use actors. That's a loss. There's no crew. That's a loss. I like the idea that a bunch of people came together and created it, but at least there's an auteur behind it who it was his idea. It was his prompt. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it's still one man's story. Sure. Uh, one man's heart being being communicated through this new medium. But in the case you described before, where a studio just says, here are the, the best screenplays, the best picture winners from the last 125 years. Give me another 125 of those. Yeah, yeah. Then and they spit it out without, it, it's an assembly line. Yeah, it's the worst of both worlds, right? It's, it's uh, algorithmic machine plus a bureaucratic machine. There, there's no auteur in there at all. Right. 
and we kind of already see that a little bit with studio films that it's <laughs> clear that they've gone through extensive reshoots and extensive rewrites and they never really got anywhere because no individual had any clear vision. That's a great point. That's a great argument, I think. You're already seeing this just without the automation. There you go. Because a lot of these films are soulless uh, anyway. Yeah. They feel like money grabs. It's, it's hilarious sometimes to see these movies that are just so transparently bad where it's like, <laughs> these are, this, in no or, way or is Or just this... transparently unoriginal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of J.J. Abrams and the new Star Wars, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're getting into my artistic opinion now, but sure. The Force Awakens, it was like, so let me get this straight. We're bringing back the Death Star. We're bringing back the old characters. We're breaking into the... We brought back the Empire. I thought we beat the Empire. Right. I guess they're just back under a different name now. Right. With no explanation. None at all. Somehow Palpatine returned. And it's like, that's it? That's all you're going to give me? Somehow Palpatine returned? He doesn't get a backstory? It's just somehow? Um, we see this kind of thing all the time. It's kind of the rule, not the exception. Because, as I said before, the, the, the business at play here is to sell stuff. Uh, it, it's the exception, not the rule, that you see an auteur visionary director, an auteur visionary piece of art. Um, even though the studio system is the one supposedly responsible for responsible, it's a business. They're, they're the ones putting stuff out there that might fill that niche. I also think, like I said before, I think that younger generations are going to pull back from this. It's not going to get as bad as I'm imagining. There will be a swinging back of the pendulum. There has to be. There has to be. Because at a certain point, uh, people are going to be grossed out by some things that AI wants to do. Right. Uh, just as we're seeing a pullback from social media, 20-year-olds do not use social media the same way that you and I might have used social media 15 we plus 20. years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, we were very excited. It was novel. It was new. It was, ex it was exciting. It was a great way to connect with friends. Most of the major platforms are not good at that anymore. They have optimized for different things for their bottom line, but in so doing, they have ruined what brought people there in the first place. We're going to see the same kind of thing happen with AI. So in as much as I'm projecting linearly that it's all going to turn into a dystopian neighbor, I don't actually think that's going to happen. I think society will course correct. We see things move in waves, uh, and, and I think the wave will pull back at some point. It's good to know. So I guess the last question I have for you is, what does this mean for the, uh, the actors and writers moving forward and the crews who work on these films? Um, Will part of the course correction be kind of what I've posited that people will want, even though the, the difference in output may be negligible, if not zero, mm -hmm. uh, people will want something they know was human made, not machine made, um, or will these careers go by the wayside? It's a good question. Uh, one difference that I think is important to draw is whether you're creating something for an audience interested in art or an audience interested in entertainment. If all the audience want is entertainment, they won't care who or what made that entertainment, how it was created, because that's not their thing. I think art is different. Art, it's the soul that Art I is meaning, about. purpose. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's challenging you in ways that you might not even be totally comfortable with, and that's what art is supposed to do. The nature of art fundamentally changed after technology was able to technologically reproduce it. Before technology could make endless prints of the Mona Lisa, the, the Mona Lisa itself had a different meaning as the original and only example of its kind. And a different look. There you go, yes. We're about to see the same kind of thing happen now, where actually our relationship to art is about to fundamentally change because the nature of the thing will change itself. There is a famous essay often talked about in art and film studies uh, called 
art in the age of its technological reproducibility. It talks about this idea. When the Industrial Revolution came about, art could now be technologically reproduced in, in huge numbers, and it fundamentally changed what it meant to have art, what art was, what right. our relationship to, uh, to it was, uh, what qualities we were attracted to. We're going to see the same thing happen with AI. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. The other thing that your question makes me think of is a, a phrase that's now getting repeated a lot about on, on the topic of whether jobs are going to be replaced by AI, creative jobs are going to be replaced by AI. What's being repeated right now, the perceived wisdom for people in the field is that people will not be replaced by AI. People will be replaced by people using AI. Mm. So if you're creative in entertainment, in art, if you're producing original creative work, imaginative work, and that's your career, probably the best course for you right now is to get as familiar with these tools as possible, to understand them so that when somebody wants to make a production and make it cheap and good and fast, you're the person they turn to because you know how to use the new tools to full effect. This reminds me of a point that I want to make. Okay. AI completely is derivative. It, in its very nature, correct? It only knows anything based on, as you said, those hashtags, the, the, the metadata, correct? It, and it has to learn from a, uh, a sizable body of work to, to be able to learn whatever it learns. Mm -hmm. So in its very nature, it cannot create something truly original. Okay. Therefore... My argument is that we'll only ever create, it will create elements that are original because, uh, you know, or somewhat original. And you could argue there's nothing original, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, and yet, uh, people love to quote that there's nothing new under the sun, but we've been sitting here talking about how there's always something new coming up mm -hmm. uh, that we can't even predict. So won't there also still be a place for the original idea that isn't derivative? Or would you argue that everything's derivative? I, I might lean more toward everything is derivative. So there's a filmmaker named Kirby Ferguson. Have you heard of this guy? No. He created a web series years ago called Everything is a Remix. It absolutely blew up online, went very viral. He did a lot of talks at TED and Google and other places. I had the opportunity to meet him and work with him a few years ago because I was such a fan of this work. I sought him out for a project that I wanted to work on together. The premise of Everything is a Remix is exactly what it sounds like. Everything is ultimately copying, transforming, and combining prior work. What, what we call originality is really novel synthesis. We're taking pieces that are, exist around us and we are copying, transforming, and combining them in ways that we haven't necessarily seen them copy, transformed, and combined before. This is in music. This is in film. And I would argue that if you did create something that was truly, genuinely original in the most true sense, that it would be so unhinged from our present social grounding. Unrelatable. Yeah, people wouldn't connect with it. People right. wouldn't like it. You would just be a weirdo who creates monster stuff. And to create something that resonates with an audience, you need to tap into the zeitgeist, their, 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 their social reality that they live in. Shared experience. And what that necessarily means is you are copying, transforming, and combining elements that they're already very familiar with. Austin, this has been an incredibly uh, interesting discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Joel. It's been fun. 
Likewise is a video podcast production of Angel Studios released every other Tuesday. If you'd like to watch episodes of Lightwise, download the Angel app wherever you get your apps. To learn more and to watch light amplifying content for free, go to angel.com. This episode of Flightwise was hosted by Joel Ackerman. It was written and directed by Joel Ackerman, produced by Cameron Jackson and John Shave Sickle, and edited by Cameron Jackson, with sound recording by Garrett Briggs and sound mixing by Brian Densley.